Kane was a lab experiment gone wrong. A genetic clone of Peter Parker, the amazing Spider-Man, he's been dying since the day he was created by the Jackal all those years ago. Kane himself lived a life of violence and villainy, hunting his own other brother, Ben Riley, during that time. Yet it wasn't until Spider-Man cured him and gave him a second chance at life that he decided to embrace his legacy as the Scarlet Spider. Spidey-Dude.com presents episode 32 of the Clone Saga Chronicles podcast, Scarlet Spider 12 and 12.1. Whoa! I don't think I even want to hear your story. All of you must hear the Scarlet Spider story. My name is Ben Riley. I'm related to this reality's Peter Parker. His clone, or maybe he's my clone. We're not sure. I'm the real Spider-Man. I don't know what kind of mind game this is, but I'm the real Spider-Man. The real Peter Parker. You see? I thought I was that clone. I tried to stay out of Peter's life by taking on a new identity. I dyed my hair and changed my name to Ben Riley. When I became a costume hero of the Scarlet Spider, it really made him angry. The next big blow came from Dr. Kurt Connors. He discovered that, according to our genetic structures, it might be Peter who was the clone, not me. That news pushed Peter Parker over the edge. Now he hated me with a passion. This is starting to sound like a bad comic book plot. It gets worse. Why didn't you just tell me I was a clone? The cloning process has proven unstable. You're coming apart. Greetings, Cloneheads, and welcome back to the Clone Saga Chronicles podcast, powered by Spidey-Dude.com. I'm your friendly neighborhood host of the and webmaster of the site, Zach Joyner. I am joined in this episode, episode 32, by Gerard Delatour, the second, and Greg XB. Guys, uh, definitely excited to have you guys both on here. Of course, you know Gerard, because Gerard's been on pretty much every episode. Greg was on two episodes ago, so I welcome back both of you. Yeah, you have me read from Minimum Carnage. I hate you. Uh, <laughs> friends yeah. don't make friends read Minimum Carnage. <laughs> yes, well, you don't know that he's secretly my enemy. <laughs> if you're not with me, then you're, you're my right. enemy. Yes. <laughs> I, did that line, I, I did that line reading with much more emotion than Hayden Christensen so in either of the movies he was in. <laughs> if you're not with me... You're my enemy. Oh, that was a good one, yeah. <laughs> if you're not with me, then you are my enemy. <laughs> Only a Sith deals an absolute... I love that line for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> me too. <laughs> all right, anyway, getting away from the Star Wars podcast to the back to the Clone Saga Chronicles, we're going to be covering two issues in this episode. Holy shit, there's a giant spider crawling across my nose right now. This is prophetic. Nice. From 20- and it's dead. <laughs> I don't even bother with napkins. I just punched it. You punched it in the face. <laughs> well, more like in the thorax, but whatever. Whatever. Anyway, for both issues that we're covering are from 2012. The final two issues from 2012. Issues 12 and 12.1. 
Now, for those of you that don't know what 12.1 is all about, Marvel has this annoying habit of deciding to screw around with the numbering of their respective titles and to introduce a issue that's, quote, new reader friendly, they would, they'll throw in a point one issue. Season one. Bertone's not here. I know. Well, yeah. well, that's allegedly what they were doing. Now now they've just completely thrown all that to the wind. They just use point ones for whatever the hell they feel like. Well, this back in 2012, this was the intent as stated back then. So I'm just, right. that's the whole idea. Like like with Amazing Spider-Man, their, their point one issues were essentially pilots for other titles. Like the backdoor pilot for uh, Morbius was like, that what there was a, like a point one issue with him and the Lizard. <laughs> Venom, was the, Venom got one too. Yeah, Venom was the. I think Venom was the first one to have a point one issue. You know, it's funny. I'm looking at this. These issues came out that we're talking about today. Came out in December of 2012, right? There's an ad in uh, in these for uh, that new Morbius series you just mentioned, and here we are, less than a year later. It's already been canceled. Yeah, because <laughs> it. W- Did you see the sales numbers on that thing? No. It tanked faster than the Titanic, man. It was. It was. <laughs> it had like forty thousand in like the first uh, issue, and then it went from like forty thousand to like. 25,000 to like 15,000 to like I think it had like 8,000 I'm just shocked I'm shocked that it ever sold 40,000 that's that's the same percentage of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is losing (laughs) yeah I mean it's it's a uh, it's a it's definitely a book that did not entice the uh, audiences that you know like Morbius, so <laughs> it's because it was a book that was made for an audience that doesn't exist. Like, who was asking for this other than like one guy? I think that we could think of, and he didn't even like the book. Exactly, <laughs> he didn't even like. He the hated. Picture. He hated that book too. It was hilarious. Like uh, he would brag on it constantly. So anyway, uh, we're gonna do twelve issue twelve first. So I think it, yeah, it is numerically it does come before twelve point one. Technically, Marvel yes. didn't screw Marvel didn't screw that one up that badly. Twelve point no, zero. Yeah, twelve point zero. <laughs> The Man in the Presidential Suite, written by Yost with Riley Brown on pencils. Riley Brown's a familiar name. You'll remember him from uh, helping out during Minimum Carnage. But, Gerard, you got the rundown. That I do. Uh, Scarlet Spider number 12, called The Man in the Presidential Suite, which is written by Chris Yost, penciled by the aforementioned Riley Brown, inked by Terry Palo, and colored by Andres Mosa. We begin in a meeting of mysterious mystery men of mystery as they hatch plans to steal the Connell Diamonds, which, which uh, the Tony Stark-looking uh, Hans Gruber guy says is estimated to be worth... $17 million, which I don't know. That seems a little low for a huge heist like this. These guys could do better than that. And <laughs> $17 billion. Anyway, the diamonds are, are temporarily being le- kept in a vault at the Four Seasons Hotel while it travels through Houston for some reason. Uh, why would you put that in a hotel instead of a bank vault? Well, whatever. We, we need the story to take place in the hotel. Where we speaking of the four seasons, we cut there to find a drunken cane trying to skip town, but being blocked by Araceli. After some hijinks involving a swear jar, Kane passes the hell out before Araceli, Donald, and Wally learn that Kane will need to vacate the presidential suite for a Belgian ambassador. We never see the Belgian ambassador, of course, so I, I just assume it's a uh, Van Damme trying to come stay at the hotel or something. <laughs> by the way, what is what is Araceli wearing? She's wearing a blue hoodie. Can't be a Scarlet Spider book without a blue without a blue hoodie. Not at all. <laughs> but it doesn't have a really silly looking uh, uh, spider on the front of it, so it doesn't it's not quite. Not silly. Oh, come on, you know it is. Stop it. <laughs> and of course, a typical '90s design, it has to be like an asymmetrical, like diagonal spider on the front too. Stop ruining my dreams. 
<laughs> I thought you were going to say stop ruining my childhood. No, no. That too. <laughs> Your tears taste so delicious. <clears throat> Your salty tears sustained me. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, downstairs, a group of gun-toting Santas storms the lobby, trapping all the guests and employees therein, including Annabelle. She sneaks a call to Kane's suite, where they learn what's happening downstairs. With Kane taking an Irish nap, Wally grabs his gun and heads into the fray, followed close. Irish nap? What? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a quick way to explain that he was passed out and they were trying to revive him, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we just offended half of the people that listen to this podcast. Hey, By the way, uh, this, Irish, this issue tells me that, Hans, that Die Hard had been so much better if Hans Gruber wore Santa's suit throughout the movie. <laughs> By the way, cute little... Well, now I have a machine gun. Her, her, uh, her. Uh, by the way, a cute little aside on this. Um, it's the Santa suits come from Stegman's Christmas shop. I noticed yeah. that. Yeah, I did forget to mention that, didn't I? On oh, you did. Well, anyway, yeah. Wally grabbed his gun, headed into the fray downstairs, and Araceli follows him. Downstairs, one of the hotel employees tries to stall and BS to prevent the crooks from getting the diamonds, which makes Annabelle quite angry. And understandably so, given that there's a gun pointing at her head. She informs him that the real mother load is in the presidential suite, which which I, I guess is supposed to be played as if she might be betraying him, but come on, you could almost hear the wink-wink in the dialogue. <laughs> Upstairs, Kane mumbles in his sleep about his murderous past, revealing the truth to Donald for the first time. Meanwhile, in action, taking out a few of the goons in the process... Uh, Wally is basically just opening fire on the McLean style, and uh, Araceli is using her powers to make some of them pee their pants or something. I don't know. In the suite, Kane regains his senses, getting words of encouragement from Donald, when suddenly one of the crooks, with Annabelle in tow, of course, kicks the door down, only to get an ass-kicking from Kane from his effort. Kane suits up, heads downstairs, and beats some jolly old Saint butt-cheeks, saving the day. And in the process learns that he does have a place in Houston with his newfound friends and loved ones. Also, no Belgians. <laughs> no Belgians at ever. He just watched Street Fighter. <laughs> don't, All right. don't rhyme about the existence of the uh, that Street Fighter movie, please. <laughs> Wasn't Sean Claude Van Damme in that movie? Of yeah. course! And so is Raul Julia. Nice. That's the only reason to watch the movie, really. Ralph Julia gives like, such a great Emmy performance in it. Nice. I still have yet to see that movie. I own it on Blu-ray, I admit it. <laughs> no. I'm a little ashamed of you, actually. <laughs> anyway. He doesn't want it on DVD. You're like, no, you can't, you can't sit there and be like, I own it on DVD. Okay, that's kind of justifiably understandable. You own it on Blu-ray. It was five bucks on sale. Okay, that's a little better. Okay, back to the clones. Yeah. That actually wraps up uh, issue 12, so I'm going to let Greg give his thoughts first. Well, as a cold-hearted guy who hates Christmas, I really enjoyed watching Kane in a drunken stupor beat the shit out of a bunch of Santa Clauses. <laughs> ho ho ho, buddies! He needed he needed some more Santa. This is someone who's going to give the issue an A. I liked it a lot. I th- thought the art was great. I let's put it this way: we don't have swear jars in my house because we'd be broke if we did. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least I'd be broke. <laughs> the family might be richer though. But it's a good. I, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I really liked it. It's a fun issue. It's a fun one shot, especially in these. Uh, 
days where every story is six issues long. Yeah, thank you, Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. yeah it's, all his, it's all his fault. <laughs> <laughs> it always leads back to Bendis. Anyway, um, all right, Gerard. Are you done, Craig? Or yeah. I don't know. Okay. Gerard, what's your thoughts? Quick and to the point. I like it. Um, uh, I am not quick and to the point. I'm a rambling dude who uses a lot of flowery language and overtly complex. It's because he loves the sound of his own voice, but let's move on. I don't like the sound. Actually, I sound like a like a cartoon character on drugs or something. We know. all do. <laughs> nice. Um, anyway, <laughs> pros, I got to second the, the, the whole artwork thing. Actually, after reading this issue and, and some of uh, Minimum Carnage, I thought that uh, Riley Brown was going to maybe take over as a regular artist, and I really would have welcomed that, but instead we got... Uh, we got Koi Fam, and uh, well, you know I don't like him. So Koi Fam, uh, Koi Fam, and his poor, poor, poor man's Ron Garney style. I know. I, all I know about him is that he was a he was a lawyer before he became a comics artist. And honestly, I think he should have just stayed in the legal profession. Oh wow, that's cold. That's cold, Gerard. That is <laughs> even by my standards. <laughs> Which are pretty low. Yes. <laughs> it's just the gonads, critical damage. Uh, <laughs> uh, this issue was really funny. Like, the, the whole between the swear jar antics and the and the whole Santa angle, and then, like, there's some good one-liners in here. It's just, it's really amusing to, and fun to read, and it was a, it wasn't a particularly quick read, I would say. And compared to a lot of issues, it actually took a little while, because I was actually more invested in what was happening. So I wasn't skimming around a lot, but it was a good, kind of, kind of weighty, funny, one-shot kind of issue. It's one-sixth the length of a Brian Michael Bendis story and takes you longer to read. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always harped on the, the way that the series has used its supporting cast. This is an example of how to do it correctly, where you don't necessarily just give the spotlight over to them, but you integrate them into, well into the story. Mm-hmm. Again, it, it, it works because of the fact that it takes place in the hotel, so it's much more seamless to just work them in like that. But, you know, I, more of this would have made me love the series as opposed to what eventually ended up happening. Uh, good use of continuity in this one, too. He, he makes references to, like, pretty much all of his past year's worth of stories, which makes this a good, like, culmination of the... Because they treated it like it was, you know, the capper of the first year of Scarlet Spider. So, and it succeeded in that regard, because it definitely capped everything, recapped, let you know what was happening. But also good old Clone Saga continuity. He mentions uh, how he killed Louise in this issue. Mm-hmm. Going back, which is a callback, of course, to... Uh, Suddenly I, suddenly, I just blanked the lost years. The lost years, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is continuity porn done right. Yes. Because it again, it just it fits in the story. It's not Dan Slot style continuity porn. You mentioned it just for the sake of mentioning it. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay, Dan. I own a copy of the Marvel Encyclopedia. Also, you don't have to show off. Uh, and of course, like Greg, I really enjoyed the fact that he was beating the hell out of some Santas because that guy is a fraud and he deserved <laughs> everything that happens to him. <laughs> yes, all his toys are made in China because he's a capitalist pig. <laughs> also, no, he he uses slave labor. He doesn't have to go to China for. Oh man! I, but all the toys he brought me as a kid said "Made in China," not in the North Pole. Why was that? 
<laughs> no, wait, I'm a Jew. I didn't get anything from him. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I was dear. about to say, you are Jew. I'm half Jewish. We had, um, oh, dear. I have one more note for this, and I, I'm afraid to use this transition, but I guess I have to. Speaking of China, there's a panel where uh, Wally pistol whips a guy, and the, and the sound effect randomly is wang. <laughs> 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 It's on, uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Let me, let me figure out what page this is on. Uh, well, the doesn't... machine gun says Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. <laughs> 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, uh, 10, 11. It's on, page, it's on page 12, not counting the recap. <laughs> he just busts the guy over the back of the head, wang. <laughs> That's just, so yeah, uh, easily the best issue of the series by far a plus okay before i kind of get into mine i have to kind of make a mention of this particular issue last christmas christmas of 2012 i actually got an ipad as a gift and i downloaded comiXology and the very first issue i downloaded was this one and so i read it on my ipad i actually posted on on twitter that i this is the first issue i i downloaded on 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 uh when i got my ipad today and Yost and Stegman both retweeted it, which was kind of cool. Um, so I love this issue. It's one of – if I could pick a, a issue of any book to give to somebody, particularly – especially of this series, this would be the issue I would introduce the whole person to the to Scrawled Spider world. I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> Let's note that for later. Because I think it's really well executed. I think it's the execution that, that really st- – that seals it for me. So, uh, love, I love, love the hijinks, man. I mean, there's nothing more, Chris, there's nothing better to get you in the holiday spirit than homicidal Santa Clauses that get their ass kicked by, uh, the Scarlet Spire. That's what the tick I mean, taught me. Uh, there's nothing better. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. Um, I like, I still like that Araceli still wears the blue hoodie. It makes, it, it, it makes me smile. I don't, uh, I know that's like a that's like a little thing, but but and they've obviously brought that up. I think was it four or five issues ago when he's like, "Why do you keep wearing that thing?" Because it reminds you of him. The one thing that Yost has done very very well throughout his entire run on Scrawled Spider is integrate continuity in a way that makes it accessible, but yet once you once makes you want to go see, okay, who is this Louise character and what what's this what's her connection to Kane, and I think that. You know, we live in an era now where it's easily accessible to get those issues, whether it be on Comixology, um, because like I, I, the Lost Years is on Comixology now. But you can also get them in the, in the Clone Saga trades. So I mean, there's there's a lot of different accessibility, a lot more accessibility because of the age we live in that makes it to where it really works for for me. So I love I love this issue. I loved the. Um, even the continuity, the bit of continuity porn with uh, the scene where Araceli puts the mask on and makes the heel, you know that that you know explains that this isn't a normal costume. Well, it also serves a necessary function, which is that if Kane's costume keeps getting messed up, how the hell does he have more costumes? Because he's obviously not making any. Right, and if you if you know the history of the costume, you also know that it 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 heals itself because that's how Peter designed it. It's the Tron suit. You know, made to look like the... It's much better than the Tron suit. You spilled, you spilled some big time into my Scarlet Spy. You know, I was having a good a good time discussing this issue until you brought that up. Thanks. I'm sorry. Poor Jerome. Don't worry, I'll just take it out on issue 12.1. I can't <laughs> wait to get there, but... This is... Riley, yeah, go on. 
Riley Brown's pencils are fantastic, and he should have been the regular artist on the book. Agreed. Is this the last issue he works on? I believe so. <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, this issue, though, made me remember why I got into Marvel Comics to begin with way back when I was three or four. <laughs> it was just yeah, and fun. It also, it also even acknowledges the aftershocks of, of uh, Minimum Carnage. Uh, and does, sorry. And, and, and does it in a way hates big time. And it does it in a way that's not like beat you over the head with it. It's very subtle and it doesn't like overtake the issue. Thank God. So I I think it just really is definitely the highlight of the year for me. And uh the speaking of highlights of the year, if this is the cap off to issue uh, to the first year of Scarlet Spider, twelve point one definitely is the um Opening salvo of the 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 next year of Scarlet Spike. No, no, no. I look at it this way: if number, if issue twelve is the delicious cake that you got at the end of the year, issue twelve point one is what happens to the cake three hours later when you're in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> See, I I I just I need to know about, about your bathroom habits, there, George. Uh, anyway, so I've got the rundown of twelve point one. And so it's called, 12.1 is called The Mark, written by Chris Yost, art by Paolo Sekira uh, with Neil Edwards on pencils, uh, Victor, is it Dabli, Dablaza? Olazaba. Olazaba, thank you. With Tom Palmer on the inks, and uh, Fabio O. Dioria. Dioria, because the way they got the font in here it looks makes it look like, a, these look like O's. Uh, and the, the fact that you can't read. Sorry, Zach. I am from Texas, after all. All right, well, you so said the... it. You said it. <laughs> um, oh, don't forget! Don't forget to mention the the two pages of flashback are done by a boy fam. One Texan. <laughs> oh, uh, excuse me. The koi fam and uh, and the Fabio do the epilogue sequence at the end of the issue. So we the issue opens. In a dark, uh, gloomy room, um, with a young girl screaming out "Help!" translated from Japanese, uh, we have a man reaching out his hand, which is glowing, and that leads us to Houston. Scarlet Spider is swinging throughout the town, and he gives a, an internal monologue about how it doesn't bother him as nearly as much as it used to. We then go to the Japanese gardens in Herman Park, over, and uh, with we are joined by Officer Layton as the crime scene. Person shrouded in a blanket is is at at the fountain there. Kane shows up, and upon the removal of of the blanket, the young girl has a mark on her face, a burned handprint on her face, which makes Kane flash back to his days as Scarlet Spider, the formal the mercenary formerly known as Kane. So uh, after some spacing out, Kane then asks who did it, and a the, bunch of uh, evil weeaboos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, we don't we don't know usually a young girl like this turns up in his country illegally etc cetera, etc cetera. so it looks like it was a slave Kane sits out in the rain and is uh, visibly shaken by the by the by seeing the young girl in such a state so Kane then busts into a massage parlor where he starts asking questions and taking names um, he then we then cut back to the Four Seasons Hotel where Kane you know, checks in on Araceli and Annabelle. Araceli, uh, 
can read. I, I, she can. It's established that she's some sort of telepath, so she can read Kane's thoughts, and she's visible. She's squinting as Kane comes near her. We then cut to a Kane's web thinking of, about weeaboos. That's why <laughs> Kane is. We then cut to a splash page of a web of knights. It's the best way of describing it. Uh, it's, it's got a web pattern with uh, night one, night two, night three, night four, and it's basically Kane just going around town, just beating the living hell out of people. This is actually Looking, a really cool sequence. Yeah, uh, as he's beating the hell out of them, he's getting, he's demanding answers, demanding answers, and then we get to night five, which is downtown. Mark Tomonaga, better known as the quote the Mark. I wonder where we got the issue. And I'm the lamest, that's the lamest nickname ever. And I'm the Greg, you're the Gerard, and our host is the Zach. (laughs) And uh, Kane interrupts his dinner as he's, you know, sitting there smugly eating, uh, looks like a steak, some salad, whatever. And of course they're having a conversation. Now, the Mark takes off his glasses and reveals a scar over his over his left eye. Conveniently, like, I don't know if this was intentional, but the first thing I thought of when I was rereading this book was Mr. So from the Scarlet Spider months of Ben Riley as the Scarlet Spider. Because the he's Asian. He has the scar over his eye. Yeah, it's not whited out, but th- dude, dude, it's like it's like they completely ripped that off from the actual clone saga. Upon taking off his glasses, we are then it then is is it is then revealed that uh, the the mark actually is working with the hand, so Kane suddenly is surrounded by a bunch of ninjas. We then flash Kane then fights these ninjas off as as he pretty much owns them. The uh, the mark says, "Well done." He's like, "I'm glad you're impressed because you're next." So the the mark then you know gets his his hand fists of fury and tr- and starts fighting Kane. Kane and and him fight. So we're, he's interrupted by the Bruiser and the Arranger. The Arranger is. The Kingpin's right-hand man. Now, the Kingpin at this point has taken over Shadowland and is is in control of the Hand. Clearly, he's not happy that the Hand has a bit of outreach in Houston and that the Mark is is controlling the Hand. So, Bruiser proceeds to break the Mark's neck. After breaking his neck, the the Arranger he appreciates him helping to locate the Mark so he could take care of the Kingpin's business. Um. We then go to uh, we then cut back to the to the fountain where the young girl's body was discovered, and we see that there's a makeshift memorial, and uh, Kane still visibly angry about this. It talks about how great with great power comes great responsibility, but also with great power comes the ability to rain down hell on those who prey on the weak, people who couldn't fight the monsters to stop people like me. He thinks that's the way he'll go. <laughs> okay, anyway. We then cut to the Texas-Mexico border, and we see two wolves walking up to a limo. The wolves turn into humans, and they ask to be taken to Houston. And that's how the issue ends, we get told, next, in the midst of wolves. And that's how the first year of Scarlet Spider ends. Boy, it should have ended with issue 12. Yes, it should have. Okay, so we'll go with Greg first. Um, I'll give it a C. I like it more than Gerard does. I don't think it's great. I thought the uh, my favorite sequence in the entire issue was Web of Time, Night One, Night Two, Night Three. I mean, the Mark was a very lame bad guy. I mean, he's a he was a stereotype again. I, but overall, I mean, it, it it wasn't a bad issue. It was so it was okay. And but 
coming after issue 12, it was a huge step down. Okay, Gerard? Absolutely agree on that part. It was definitely... Okay, I just gotta jump back to what Zach said earlier before I forget. Zach, discussing issue 12, and we're not... <laughs> rewind your MP3 back so you get caught in an infinite loop of listening to this one section over and over again. Zach said... That he thought this was a that issue twelve was the perfect introduction to the series for people because it's it showcases well everything that the the series is good at. Interesting is that issue twelve does that, but issue twelve point one, which allegedly existed solely for that purpose, doesn't because this is a really lousy introduction to Scarlet Spider. If you haven't read the book, there are no supporting characters in it other than briefly them showing up asleep. And otherwise, they don't fat like Scarlet Spider himself barely factors into the plot. But anyway, let me let me throw something good in here first before I get into my many complaints. Uh, I thought the artwork was pretty good, um, especially yeah. the 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 Paolo Sequeira pages, which are the majority of the issue up until I think I could spot where they where the artists switched. It's on the after the two page spread with uh, Scarlet Spider fighting those uh, the hand guys, where, where it ends where it ends with "If I'm dead" in the caption, and then the next page I think is when Neil Edwards takes over, at least to my eyes. Yeah, yeah, it's but, hard. They're hand ninjas. They spent years training. Don't call them hand guys. <laughs> they didn't spend all those years going to Ninja Academy for them. You just call them guys. Um, especially, I got a single out on the uh, on page five. Again, I don't count the recap page as a page. On page five, that top uh, panel there, the very first panel. What a gorgeous shot of of Scarlet Spider in the rain. That's like that's, yes. that's a good iconic shot there. That that's like a uh, that's like a, a podcast image right there. Like you just yeah, use that one. right now. But for the podcast image, use Scarlet with the Santas. Yes, I know. I'll just say. Um, but the then, of course, not everything can be good because that page where Kane is without his mask. Good Lord, what happened to his face? What's wrong with your face? What's wrong with your face? That looks it, nothing it, like him. Looks yeah, nothing. It, like, it, in it, fact, standing there in the shadow, I'm just gonna say he looks like a black dude standing there. I'm like, I'm like, what? What the hell is this guy doing in there? I'm says, like, oh, right, says the okay. black dude on the show. But go on. <laughs> I know, I know, but but like it looks nothing like him. Like he has like little like stubby, like what? Is, ah, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. Anyway, well, but anyway, yeah. So art good except for that one thing, which isn't. But the biggest problem I have with this is that this issue is basically all just pointless filler and setup that was just needlessly shoehorned in here. Because honestly, look at what happens in the finale of this issue, right? Scarlet rolls out, he fights a bunch of hand guys, he beats them up, but they're just cannon fodder, so who cares? He gets into a fight with the Mark, the Mark kicks his ass, then he gets into a fight with the, the Bruiser, or whatever the hell his name is. The, the, the guy with the, 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 the guy wearing the AIM t-shirt. Yeah, that guy, he gets to fight that guy, that guy kicks his ass. Then that guy kills the mark, and then they leave. What was the point of Scarlet Spider even being in that scene? Because he didn't—he had no impact on the plot whatsoever. He's just there, and he's like, "Oh, some yeah. stuff is happening." 
and some guys. Mysterious mystery that they won't that they will never get to because the series is canceled. Well, he led them to the mark because the arranger is too stupid to find the mark himself, even though he was out in the open looking like a dumbass. Well, he was probably once he got word that that Kane was looking for him, was like, oh, we'll just use this guy to lead us to him. Right. Except that again, like Greg said, he shouldn't really be that hard to find. He's sort of inviting people to show up. Even he even had like his little. Uh, Who's drinking something right now? <laughs> not, not I. It was Jack. me. My bad. Stop slipping that shit on the, on the truck. I mean, he's even sitting there like Blofeld style with like a table and like a, some wine there, and he's like, well, "No, Kane, I expect you to die." And or like, you know, like what is going on there? It's like he was just waiting for everybody to show up, which sucks all the tension out of the story. And look at him; he, he looks like a douchebag, like a stereotypical douchebag. He does with the shades and the, the freaking. Uh, the popped collar on his suit yeah. there. Who wears sunglasses inside? Well, yeah, he's hiding the scar in the eye without pupils, but still. He's hiding the scar in his eye without pupils, pupils from people that work with him that presumably already know that he's missing. Wear an eye patch. Yeah, Arr. those are cool. Wear an eye patch. It's like he's seen out of that eye. He's not going like, to like, like, like Black Nick Fury that got introduced in the series randomly. <laughs> don't remind me of that issue. You just keep reminding me of all the terrible issues of the series, don't you? Um, <laughs> Sorry. Seriously, po- seriously poor introduction to the character. 12 and 12.1 should have been swapped if that's what they were going to do, or just yeah. cut out 12 and 12.1 entirely. But violence for the sake of violence and gore for the sake of gore are just things that just piss me off about comics. And this issue is just full of that. Especially when you when you read if you read this right after issue twelve and what they came out what like a week apart two weeks yeah, apart it's a huge step down. No, but I mean like just the, the tonal inconsistency between like issue twelve is all about like light and funny and like positive like he learns that he belongs here and that yeah. he can let his violent past behind him. This issue is all about like I'm a dark violent murderer. Let me punch people until they bleed and chop a guy's nose off for no reason because Kane we're, is obviously uh, bipolar. Still the explanation for him for him for him looming over Araceli while she sleeps like a rapist or something like like Edward Cullen and I apologize for that comparison I really do I apologize oh you don't stop no I'm actually legitimately sorry for that one not the other ones but that one I am well Edward Cullen was trolling high schools for 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 tail even though he was like a hundred years old right that's true I had to say though I did like the line with great power. With great power, he said, some guy I never knew knew he said this. I mean, he has the memories, but they're not his. And it's yeah. a nice connection to Uncle Ben and where he came from. I guess. But again, like this just completely contradicts the entire message we got in the last issue, which was supposed to end the year on like a, a upbeat hope. This seems note. to me, okay, remember we had this conspiracy theory, Gerard, about, about stock issues? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is definitely an inventory issue, <laughs> without a doubt. This is probably what uh, they probably got to the end of the year and just burned it off because they needed to. Because the thing with inventory issues is they get dated quick, so they probably just added that extra two pages there at the end, just to tie this, it in, and then this was this was like Chris Jones was like, okay, so I, I, no, I'm getting into writing thirteen, so I'm I'm gonna start. No, actually, Chris, you need to you need to give us a, produce an issue uh, twelve point one. <laughs> Why we're doing a point one issue? Why? Because we can. It gives us an extra issue for the in the year, so why not bring release thirteen? Because 
13 is supposed to start in January. This is December. <laughs> yeah, this is just bad. We haven't bad. met our quarter. We haven't met our quarterly our, our quota this quarter, so we need to produce an extra issue. <laughs> it's just a bad, pointless filler story that does nothing. It has no point. Doesn't establish anything interesting. It sets up some stuff that I mean, I, I quit reading this book, but does this whole Shadowland conspiracy angle ever come back? I don't think it does. No. No. And the this series was about to be cancelled, so it probably will never be resolved. Unless they carry it over to that new book. But why would they? That that's like Or that's slot continuity porns it. Well, I mean, um to be honest, I mean the the new book, which we'll talk about next episode. Um, it, it has the high evolutionary in it, but that's only that's only going to give you a certain amount of mileage. Well, you, but, but the point is, you can tie it in with the character of Kane. You don't want to carry plot baggage from one canceled series to a soon to be canceled series. That's just, that. That's just that's just poor storytelling. I understand they share a writer, but you don't want to do that stuff. It's sort of like how Phil Urich just showed up in a big time. He was just evil. And you're like, when the hell did this happen? Because it was in some miniseries nobody read. Huh. <laughs> so everybody was just scratching their, their thick monkey cranium. Once again, continuity that, porn. Well, that, that that bothered me for many other reasons. So, <laughs> oh, There was a lot wrong with the beginning of Big Time. Yeah. Well, and the not... middle of Big Time and the end of Big Time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're, we're not discussing. We're, this is not the big time. Podcast. No, no, no. This is uh, it's the big time podcast. It would sound more, a lot more like a like a Rush Limbaugh thing, where I just be screaming all the time about sh- about stuff I don't like. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, this this one's. I'm going to give this one a D. It's not. It's not complete failure, but it's it's pretty close. And I give it a C. What's your grade, Zach? I'm going to give this a C. In terms of introducing you to the character, do I think it serves that purpose? No. As an issue of Scarlet Spider, this has been a plot point that's been kind of the, the human trafficking angle has been going on since the beginning of the issue, of the of the series, and it doesn't effectively effectively resolve it at all. It doesn't um, even bring up the same angle though, because the 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 whole thing with the with the previous bouts of human trafficking was directly tied to Mexico, Araceli's origin, and some other guy. Yeah. This has nothing to do with that. This is a completely different drug, like trafficking ring, which, again, it's just another strike against this issue. It's a recycled plot line. And this is a question I, I promise you this is not a politically incorrect joke, but is uh, human trafficking of people from... The Far East, a problem in Houston. I know it is in Southern California, but you would think it'd be Mexicans or Central Americans or South Americans. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of Far Eastern. Uh, there's a big population in in Houston of of people of Far Eastern descent. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a port city, so that they kind of it kind of attracts a, a lot of people naturally down there. I think it's like the third largest port city in the world, or in the United States, one or the other. Um, very, very um, ethnically diverse area of the country, particularly of Texas. Um, there's actually a pretty sizable um, Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese. Uh, I have to check. Uh, probably, have probably, to, 10, 15, probably 10, 15 percent in the state. I have to check that out next time I'm, I'm in the area. I've spent a lot of time in Conroe, Texas, which is a suburb about 45 minutes away from Houston, yeah. so it doesn't really count. Yeah. yeah, that really doesn't count. Houston's huge, and it's... Okay, I, I'm going to back <laughs> Would you say it's huge, Stin? 
Ah, nice. Are no, that's not nice. I should be flogged for that. Yeah, you should be flogged. I apologize. That sounds like something Jafar would say. <laughs> <laughs> Get the or point! Or Hans Gruber. Um, <laughs> Let's go for a spin! That's Dr. Yeah, Doom from the, the thing, movie. The thing, okay, the thing about Houston is it's such a... It's such a large area, and it's very spread out. It's not Houston's. Houston's pretty is a very spread out city to me, and it's not a very pretty city, by the way. Like, there's not <laughs> like like to me. Okay, there's there's certain cities that that they have beauty in their in their urbanness, <laughs> if you will. Is our home city of New York one of those in your eyes? In my eyes, yes. Having yeah. been there. Um, New Orleans, in the French Quarter, it has a very old-world 16th, 17th century view, uh, view uh, particularly in the Quarter. Um, Houston is like a big, giant, spread-out desert, kind of not desert. It just – it's blah. It's just a very bland city. There's, a, I mean, Dallas is is is, is – Tucked in the rolling hills of Texas, so you get a little bit a ways outside of, da- of Dallas. There is a beauty to it, but I, I just I never felt that way with Houston. There's San Antonio is one of those cities that very much a a um, city of Hispanic heritage and it has that that Spanish flavor. Obviously, uh, Austin, you know, has a, has that has some very. Uh, Nice areas of Austin. Also, kind of got six streets. So, if you like to get drunk, um, <laughs> bring me some single malt scotch. And if you like, if you like live music, you got to go to Austin. Nice, but uh, <laughs> yeah, El Paso, obviously out in the middle of the desert, so it has that you know deserty beauty to it. Houston just never seemed like a pretty city to me. And I know we're gonna get, or I'm gonna get some some hate mail for that. But that's just my opinion as a, as a native Texan. I've slept in El Paso. <laughs> you can, I like old El Paso. <laughs> making tacos. Um, uh, you could apply that exact analogy perfectly to this very issue. <laughs> if you look at the, if you look at the first year of Scarlet Spider as being a a diverse but generally beautiful uh, sequence of stories, and this is like you know the boil on the ass of the rest of the series. <laughs> I don't know. I'm stretching. I, I here. <laughs> this is this, this isn't this isn't the this isn't the worst issue of of the series because I think I think that the two issues. Oh, are those are all ahead. <laughs> oh boy, those are in the future. Uh, See, I I don't entirely agree with that, but you really think that the werewolf story that directly follows this is actually good? Are you kidding me? I think it starts out okay. I I did I didn't love the first two issues the first time I read them, but in subsequent rereadings, I enjoyed them. The 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 third part of in the midst of wolves, I I, I just went what the hell? It was what it, it had the spoiler alert. Most of the following story arcs in the second year of Scarlet Spider, they start off g- good to okay, okay to good, and then they somehow falter completely and fall flat on its face by the weight of the stories. Like, it didn't have enough time to breathe. And um, I think that's a big problem. 
Well, then again, the second year of Scarlet Spider is a is a hacked together, held together by duct tape. Nobody wants to work on it. Throw something out into the marketplace to make three dollars off of a hapless readership that has nothing better to do with their money. Sort of sort of year. <laughs> We're self loathing bunch, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, think, uh, yeah, as you can tell, I harbor some resentment here. I think that it had a tie. The second year had a tie points. So I, I think the uh, I liked the Wolverine story, but I've also been reading the all new X Men by Bendis, Bendis or one of his ghostwriters, uh, and Stuart Immerman, and enjoying that aspect uh, of dipping. I dipped my toe into the X Men pool, and I I do like. Uh, some of the dynamics that are set up in the in that story, and I, I like I liked Wolverine and, and, and Kane together because I thought it, I thought it was fun. But I understand Gerard's. <laughs> you, 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 you know what else has high high points? Floods that kill people. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this just got dark. So I think I think when you look back at the first year Scroll Spider, I think the highlights obviously are issue twelve, and I yes. think the first four. I think the first the first uh, third of the year, really the first four issues were absolutely phenomenal. Totally. I think there was probably three issues that didn't work. I think 10 and 11. And, um, uh, the one with the Avengers was issue five. Issue five. I, I think the two, I think the two worst non-minimum carnage stories were the two issues that we felt like were stock stories. Issue five and issue 12.1. Yeah, mm. both of which had Neil Edwards on art. I don't know what that says. <laughs> well, that says that he's the guy sitting next to the bat phone when they need to call somebody <laughs> in at the last second to do something. Right. This was never so, a high priority book for Marvel. I think we all know this. Oh, we learned that in the second year. <laughs> I, I, I think I think Marvel was so shocked at the, how positive the response was to Scarlet Spider in general that I don't think I. I think that they kind of went in not thinking it was... I mean, Yost has said uh, numerous times that he didn't think it would even last a year. <laughs> Again, that show was in the second year. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was making it up as he went. If he was, even, write, if he was even writing the story, because he didn't write half of them, right? Like, Yost is also a very busy guy. I mean, what's he doing now? I know he I know he was doing this after Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes ended, but... He co-wrote this for uh, Thor, too. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah, he was kinda he was kinda doing some some, some script work. I think he works as a consultant and I think he also works as a, obviously he works as a screen I think he's one of like two or three writers on uh Dark World. That's another uh, thing that's always a good sign when movies have multiple writers. I'm seeing it at midnight tomorrow. Um Saturday night for me. Yeah, I'll probably be seeing it Saturday. Let's call it by its real name. It's really Loki's back. We all know this. <laughs> yeah, to my to my. For those of you that don't, the, the for those of you that are listening to the show right now, we're actually recording a couple of days before Thor: The Dark World is released. So, uh, FYI. Um, yeah, I totally thought we were going to end up recording sometime around Halloween. So I had a whole slate of Halloween-related bad, terrible jokes that I had to tear up and throw out because it's too late. <laughs> oh well. Um, so you could so, say okay. that you could say though that this issue was horrifying as I as I shift my eyebrows up and down in like a terrible Okay, shut up so far. <laughs> I was I was gonna say that, that the uh issue twelve is like a great meal that just stays with you on oh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, I loved it. 
Let me give you um, give you guys a bunch of advice. Just everyone go out and buy issue twelve. Recommend it to everybody because it's beautiful. It's it was my favorite comic of twenty twelve. And just forget twelve point one exists because there's no point to it. Honestly, you could you could literally skip um twelve point one completely mm-hmm. and go straight into thirteen and not miss it. Not, not and not feel like you missed anything. Mm-hmm. Like okay, well actually that's they... not true because if you bring it through thirteen, nothing in it is is explained at all. That's like, true. Like I had to, you had to figure out for yourself that these are supposed to be the same Lobos from the eighty spectacular Spider-Man because at no point is it ever actually stated in a in an editorial note or in a recap page of them. Yeah, I think that yeah. <laughs> so if you were just reading that, you might be like, "Hey, did I miss an issue in here?" Because what the hell? Still less annoying than how Slot handles things. Yeah. So, and this is also around the same time. Remember, this is also the same time that that uh, Yost took over writing the uh, uh, Avenging Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And so this is possibly another reason why the second year of Scarlet Spider blows. Yeah, because he was, he was more interested in the other book he was writing, which I guarantee you sells better. Yeah, uh, yeah. he had Peter Puss in it. I'm not going to call him Spock out of respect. <laughs> oh, whatever. I, uh, so I'm I mean, already going to have enough problems with Spock and disrespect because I got I got Star Trek Into Darkness on Blu-ray today. <laughs> For the love of God, why? Because <laughs> it was on sale, and I hate myself. I liked Into Darkness, but I'm not like a giant Trek fan, so therefore I I have no. Neither am I. Yeah, Zach, but you're also an idiot, so I don't really think anything you say. Then again, Wrath of Khan's one of my favorite movies anyway, so there you go. (laughs) Okay, guys, that wraps up this episode of Clone Saga Chronicles, episode 32. In episode 33, we're going to cover one issue that we felt like when we were discussing the same month, which is the first month of Scroll Spider Books. We felt like that this issue, because one, it's so long, and two, it, it's so full of fail, it absolutely deserved its own episode. So, without further ado, I can't wait to talk about this issue. Possibly the worst comic book ever published. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, Possibly. And I can't wait. And I, and I'd, like to, I'd like to remind everyone, I've read Marvel, I've read Get Craven. And I've read, uh, oh god, what the hell was that, uh, that story with the young Aunt May and the... What, oh, like, Trouble? Trouble. No. I've, read, oh. I've, read, oh. I've read all three of these things. And that Scarlet Spider limited issue may actually be worse than all of them. We're going to have a lot of fun with Scarlet Spider Unlimited number one. Oh, I'm just going to tell you, it, it, first of all, it's Don's first time reading it. We have been avo- having Don avoid spoilers and we have avoided talking about it like the plague because we really wanted it. Like Don's like, I've never read this issue. And we're like, oh, just um, you wait. When, when Don admitted that he's never read that issue, I had the greatest troll face in history. <laughs> Look at that exact moment where I'm like, oh, because yeah. the absurdity of this issue of that issue is just it, 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 it takes it takes everything to a level nine. <laughs> and it takes her from a level nine to a level ten. Like by the time you get done reading this issue. Like if you if you actually picked up the Clone Saga trades, yes, and you read that issue and you didn't put it down and say I'm done, what the hell? More power to you because single handedly the worst issue. That, okay, I don't since Bertoni's not here, this is single handedly the worst issue and the worst story of the Clone Saga, bar none. I'm just <laughs> saying in that. 
And, Even more when you, when you hit his pregnant wife? Absolutely. Yes, Jasper Tony, yes. And more so than maximum clo- clonage. Yeah, it's worse than maximum clonage. Yeah. When, 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 you, when you read, if somebody reads that issue, they need to have the suicide prevention hotline on speed dial. <laughs> and it's, and wor- get, and it's and worse than get... since Jason's not here. It's worse than one more day. Yep. <laughs> um, I'll say this. You're going to want to listen to that episode. I'm just telling you now. You're going to want to listen to that episode. <laughs> oh, really, Zach? You should, fans, you should listen to every episode. Why wouldn't you? You should listen to every episode, but you got to, you're going to have to tune in. I mean, I for God's sakes, we only put out like four episodes a year. There's no excuse to not listen to them. I'm on, on every show, and I'm going to listen to that one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, without further ado, we're going to wrap this one up. We'll see you guys next time here on Clone Slayer Chronicles, the podcast, powered by Spidey-Dude.com. And now, as a customary of every Clone Slayer Chronicles, Chronicles episode almost. We have the bloopers. What the hell? Okay. Somebody's blowing to a jug? No, that would be my phone vibrating. Okay. I don't know why it sounds like that, but okay. Cancel. What's up, pet? Oh, do that, son. What nationality is that name? Asian? Okay. <laughs> you better cut this out, Zach, before you get some hate mail. I apologize. I'm waiting and I apologize. <laughs> but not before he's interrupted by the bruiser and oh he's the arranger he's, he's interrupted the by... arranger and the bruiser I am the, the arranger I am the arranger I arrange okay I'm gonna I'm gonna, gonna reintroduce this the arranger appreciates that he helped locate the, the mark so he could take care of the kingdom's business you wanna try that of... you wanna try that sentence again Zach you can get it yes I do yeah, I want. I really want to do over on that one. Is that better? Zach, you <sighs> really sound like you just smoked an entire bag of weed before recapping this issue. It's really good. My bad. So we cut to the Texas-New Mexico border. Texas-New Mexico border? Good lord. Brilliant. <clears throat> Zach, are you okay? God. <sighs> are you currently inebriated? Do you need me to finish this for you? No, I'm almost done. And that wraps up this episode of Clone Saga Chronicles Podcast, powered by Spidey-Dude.com. Like I said earlier, next time we'll be covering on episode 33 the Scarlet Spider Unlimited issue number one. So we'll uh, see you next time here on Clone Saga Chronicles Podcast.